Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Hey, good morning, Bridge Church. It is Pastor Derek here. It is Monday morning here at the Bridge, and I'm actually pretty excited for this right now. You might be sitting here going, what's going on? Where's the stream from yesterday? What kind of all happened? Why are you sitting on a chair on the stage in your favorite hoodie? Like, what is going on? And so let me just start off this by saying, I truly do believe that everything happens for a reason. I know it's kind of a cliche phrase that we throw around a lot of times, but I do believe that in some roundabout way, everything does happen for a reason. And so yesterday, we had a great day here at the bridge, got to meet a lot of new families. We had a great service. Everything was awesome. But afterwards, we discovered that there was an issue with one of the cords in our sound booth. And so the cord that runs from our sound booth to our computer that allows you to hear me on the stream uh, shorted out. And there was no way we could have seen it coming, no way we could have avoided it. Uh, It was just one of those fluky things. And so uh, just last night, as I was just thinking about it, processing that through with our team and just praying about it, I just really felt like the message that God gave me for this weekend was one that a lot of us need to hear. And so this has been something I've wanted to try for a long time. And again, because I believe everything happens for a reason, I decided to say, let's give it a go. So here's what we're going to do today. I have my message pulled up right here from yesterday, but I want to do something called a pastoral conversation, right? It's the same message I have from yesterday, but I want to communicate it a little bit differently. As if you were sitting across from me in my office or we were sitting in your living room on your couch and we were just kind of dialoguing and having a conversation about faith, about Jesus, about life, and just having a good conversation amongst friends. And so I'm excited about it. If if you feel so inclined, I think this is going to be really fun. Uh, It might be a little bit shorter than your average sermon, uh, but I'm excited. So feel free to, you know, grab a cup of coffee, put me on pause, uh, pull up a chair, I'm excited about this because I do believe, as I said, that I really believe that God wants to speak something powerful to a lot of us that couldn't be here yesterday on stream. So as we jump into this thing, I want you to kind of put your your mindset in a frame really quick as if it was back in 2007, all right? For me personally, 2007 feels like a long, long time ago, yet on the same hand, 2007 feels like not that long ago at the same time. But believe it or not, 2007 was like 15 years ago, I think if my math is correct, right? Maybe 16. I, it's early on Monday. My, my brain's not generating as normal. That was like 15 years ago. And a lot has changed. I shared this with our, our congregation yesterday, but some of the biggest things in 2007 were gaucho pants, Ugg boots, Crocs were a big thing. You had the BlackBerry as the most common cellular device in 2007. Do you remember those things? The Blackberries with all the little tiny buttons and the business executives loved them. American Idol was on the rise. MySpace was just taking over the social media scene. Facebook was up and coming. It was a much different time in our world in 2007. But a lot of scholars, a lot of cultural people believe that 2007 was a big year for a very specific reason. In 1440, it was a banner year. 1440 was the year that the printing press was invented. And so now you could mass produce things over large quantities in a very short amount of time. 
and it changed how life worked. When you could mass produce one document, it changed life. In 1880, the telegraph, I'm sorry, in 1832, I'm sorry, 1832, the telegraph was invented. That allows you to send a message over a long distance through Morse code, and now you can communicate to somebody across the ocean, across the country, and it changed the way we communicate forever. 1880 was a big year, a banner year, if you will, that changed the course of human history because in 1880, the light bulb was invented. So now you could work after dark. You didn't have to burn a candle in order to work into the twilight. You now had electricity and a light bulb to light up a room at a moment's notice and a flick of a wrist. The banner year. But 2007 was also a banner year. A year that we look back on, and a lot of cultural uh, experts and people who study these kinds of trends, they look back on this year, 2007, and go, this is the year that human history changed forever. So what happened? What was so big about 2007 that changed everything? Steve Jobs premiered the first ever Apple iPhone. You might be thinking, why is that a banner year? I want to share something with you that really kind of shocked me. In 2016, a study was conducted nine years after the iPhone was invented. And check this out. On average, from the people who were surveyed, on average, the time that people used on their Apple iPhone was two and a half hours, which doesn't seem like that much in in any given day which equates to about, basically what happens is in 2016, when they did this study, the average person used their phone for two and a half hours, but they also like touched their phone, like to check it or check the time, whatever we are going to do, 2,617 times, which is a lot. Millennials, people who are my age and maybe a little bit younger, those who are served as millennials, they touched their phone 5,000 234 times. It was double, which also means they doubled their time using. They used their phone over five hours every single day. That's a lot. What's interesting is in 2022, a similar study was conducted, and the average user was right around that five-hour mark. As a matter of fact, the average user touched their phone and used their phone over five and a half hours every day single day. Generation Z, our teenagers that live today, the stats are still too too new and they're up and coming, but odds are they're going to be through the roof like never before. Let me just give you some quick math that I think is really, really interesting. If you use your phone every single day, about five hours a day, if that's the average, that means in any given year, every year, you use your phone for 820. I'm sorry, 1,820 hours. 1,820 hours is how often we use our phone in a given year if we use it five hours a day. Here's the thing that blew my mind. If you were to break that up into 24-hour segments, one day, if you will, that means of the year, we use our phone consistently 76 days out of the year if you were to string all the time together. That's a lot. That's a lot of time on our phones. But the reason I share those stats, the reason we look at 2007 as a really important and critical year is those stats are indicative of the reality 
that we as human beings are very, very busy. We're so busy. I can't tell you how many times, you know, when I'm seeing somebody in public and it's like, hey, how have you been? How are you doing? Good. Busy. Right? Like that is the most common thing that is shared amongst people. Like we all share this collective burden of being so, so busy all of the time. And so we've been in this sermon series here at the bridge called Breaking Free, where we're sitting here going, what are the things that are holding us back? What are the things that are keeping us from being the best version of ourselves? What are those things that are keeping us from growing in our faith, knowing more about who Jesus is, experiencing God in a whole new and powerful way? What are those things that are holding us back? And I'm here to tell you that today, something that the Lord put on my heart for our congregation, for our people this weekend, was the thing that is holding us back a lot of times from experiencing Jesus in a powerful way is just how busy we are. We're so busy. So, so busy. And there's a good pastor friend of mine. I don't know him personally, but I've read some of his books, and it's awesome. And I read this book about two months ago, and it just absolutely radically impacted me in a powerful, powerful way. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And he talks about this very thing, this plague of busyness and hurry. And so today I'm going to kind of reference some of the quotes from that book. And I'll take a look at scripture here because I believe to really experience Jesus in a new way, we have to break free from the hustle. We have to break free from being so much in a hurry all of the time. And if you don't think you're in this hustle, if you don't think you're in this, what John Mark Comer calls this, this plague or this sickness of hurry, check out these kind of indicators, if you will, that these are a sign that you might be a little overly busy. Now, this is not like one of those Facebook, you know, here are 10 signs that you're Elsa from Frozen or one of those things. These are just very, very interesting things to make us wonder. Step number one, indicator number one, that you might be suffering from this hurry or this busyness. You're irritable. You get mad, you get frustrated, you get annoyed really, really easily. It doesn't take you a whole lot to get upset. You're also hypersensitive. It just takes one minor comment, one little email, one joke that was made in fun, but it just irks you the wrong way, and you just get really, really upset, really, really you know, frustrated, it just sets you off for the whole day. Number three, restlessness. Even when you are at home doing nothing and you have no prior commitments, you can't sit still. You're sitting there going like, oh, I just got to, I can't sit still. I got to do something. Uh, I'm going to go wash the dumpsters. I'm going to go, you know, dump the grass clippings from this weekend. I'm going to do anything I can just to keep my body busy because I can't sit still. Time you might be overdoing it and you're overly busy. I'm going to go through these next ones a little bit faster. Workaholism, you can't stop working. You always got to be checking your email, checking in with the office because you can't physically unplug emotionally from your job. Number five, emotional numbness. You've kind of lost the ability to feel for people and feel for emotions because you have so many things to accomplish. Emotion just kind of gets in the way. so You become emotionally numb. Number six, out-of-order priorities. 
John Mark Comer says this, you feel disconnected from your identity and calling. You're always getting sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. What's urgent? What's urgent is the situation happening yeah, at, at the office. What's urgent is the thing that's going on right now, and so you have to neglect time with your family, time to just for yourself to unplug and do what you care about, and all of a sudden your priorities get out of order. Lack of care for your body. You don't have time to exercise. You don't have time to sleep more than four or five hours a night. You try to, as the number eight, you escape from behavior. They call them escapist behaviors. I'm sorry. Escapist behaviors. You try to, like, just get away from the stress. Get away from all the stuff that's rumming through your head through different behaviors. You escape. Netflix. Phone. Scrolling. TikTok. Facebook, Instagram, anything to put your mind at ease to unplug and escape from the stress of your life. You might be thinking, what does this have to do with anything? Well, how does this relate to church? Here is why this is really important. Number nine, number ten. Behaviors or indicators that you are suffering from being too busy. Number nine, a slippage of spiritual discipline. You don't have time to read the Bible. You don't have time to pray. You don't have time to worship. You don't even have time to sit there and reflect on life and what God's doing. Because you don't have time. You're too busy. You're too mentally preoccupied. And perhaps the most destructive one of them all. Isolation. Isolation. When you are so busy, when you are stuck in this spin cycle of hustle and hurry, you isolate. You isolate from your family. You isolate from your friends. You isolate from yourself. You're thinking, well, how do I isolate from myself? You just drown yourself in works. So you don't have to confront the things going on inside your own brain. And then you isolate from God. You're completely mentally separated from God. And so if you are going through that and you're sitting there, geez, like, thanks, man. Thanks for the guilt trip. Thank you for that. This is super encouraging. If you're still with me, thank you, because I do believe that you're not alone in this. Here's what I do know. While the iPhone 2007 has changed the pace of our life and just how busy and chaotic we are, the reality is that this idea of being overly busy is not a new idea. As a matter of fact, this idea of being overly busy is one that's consistent all the way back in the time that Jesus walked the earth. Luke chapter 10. This is a story that has been on my heart a lot lately as I've been grappling with just the demands that come with life, the things that come your way. How do you kind of navigate this? How do you manage this? And there's a really encouraging story here in Luke chapter 10, about two sisters. Let me read it for you. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Let me just stop right there. Let me unpack the story for you. Jesus and his 12 disciples are walking through town. They're busy. They've got places to be. 
But as they go through this town, it's not in the scripture inherently, but we know from studying it, they walk through this town called Bethany. And as they're walking through this town called Bethany, Martha, one of the two sisters, goes up to Jesus and says, hey, we would love to have you over to our house for a meal. In Israel at this time, to have someone over for a meal, to host somebody was a big deal. They said, hey, just come over to our house. We're going to make you dinner. We're going to have a good night. It's going to be awesome. So Jesus and his 12 disciples, they, they comply. They come over. And how many of you know when you have company coming over, you kind of kick into hyperdrive. You got to clean the house. You got to make sure it looks spotless. You want people to feel comfortable. So, you know, you set candy in the dish. Maybe you bake cookies. You kind of feel that burden of like, okay, we're hosting now, right? So this is what's happening in the story. Jesus comes over and you have Martha who invited Jesus, who is running around getting all the preparations ready for Jesus. And Mary, the other sister, we find here in verse 39, she comes and sits down at the feet of Jesus. Let's see how this goes over. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I might have jumped the gun there a little bit, but again, here's what's happening. You have these two sisters who invite Jesus over to their house. Martha, the one who invited her, is running around. It says here in the text, she was distracted by how much had to be done. And she's annoyed and frustrated that her sister, all she's doing is just sitting there doing nothing. So she even appeals to Jesus saying, Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. Martha is going crazy. She's got sweat dripping from her bowel. She's, 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 she's cooking. She's preparing the house. She's trying to make sure it's perfect for Jesus. And Mary is just sitting there at his feet. And in the eyes of Martha, she's doing nothing. What's so interesting to me about this story, I think a lot of times when we're overly busy, we look at people who are not, and it's annoying to us. We sit there and we go, what's it like to have free time? Must be nice. But this interaction that Jesus has with these two sisters, I think is very indicative for us right here and right now. Martha looks at Jesus and says, God, just help, tell her to help me. We have stuff to do. I want you to see how Jesus responds. I think it's a word that a lot of us need to hold on to today. Verse 41, Jesus responds. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It's not the response that Martha was probably anticipating. She was anticipating Jesus to say, yeah, Mary, you better go on and and, and help your sister. But he looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha, as any good friend would. It's not a correction like, Martha, Martha. This is a, an affectionate Martha. Let me just tell you something really quick. You're distracted by many things. But Mary has, is sitting here. She's chosen this one thing. I'm not going to take that 
away from her. Such a good and challenging thing. Because here's what I will tell you, everybody, on this Monday morning, as you are undoubtedly in your office, back to the grind of work and life and kids, we are all busy. Whether you are a student, high school or college, you got homework, you got sports, you got stuff going on. Whether you are a young family, you've got your career, you've got, you know, extracurricular activities, social things with friends. And if you have young kids, you know just how chaotic and busy and tiring life is. Whether it's the sleepless nights, whether it's just purely chasing them around and making sure they don't jump off the banister, make sure they don't, you know, face plant into the stove, all the things that come with being a young family, you're busy and you're tired. Parents of teenagers and more mature students who are maybe more self-sufficient, you've got sports schedules, you've got recitals, you've got dentist appointments, you've got ortho appointments, chiropractors, doctor visits, you're juggling the high point of your career, you're busy, you're entrenched in all of it, you've got stuff going on. You probably even have to divide and conquer saying, you know, hey, spouse, will you drop her off to soccer practice so I can go over here and catch, you know, his tennis match, whatever it is. We're just busy. Even if you're retired, you sit there and go, "Eh, I don't have a schedule anymore. It's really nice. There are still things you navigate through life as you've been through this grind of life where you have to navigate and sit there and go, how do I get out of this hustle? How do I get out of this mindset of being busy? Because here's what I want to challenge you with. Even if you are not actively busy, Our brains have been conditioned to just be in a hurry all of the time. All the time. Even if you are on a Saturday morning and things are chill, you still choose the shortest line at the grocery store because you don't want to wait. You still choose to get your food to go because you don't want to go in and pick it up yourself. Even if we are not actively busy, our minds are actively busy. When you look at the truth of Scripture here, we see that Jesus is constantly trying to get us to a spot where we can just take a moment to rest. If you're listening to this back, I'm going to give you a little nugget that I didn't even share with our congregation on Sunday. But when Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, that might seem a little weird to us, but it's very telling. Because students of rabbis or teachers, if you were a student of a teacher, primarily a religious teacher, it was a sign of respect and undivided attention for you to sit at their feet. It was a way of you telling them, hey, you've got all of my attention and nothing else is going to distract me because I want to listen to what you have to say. Pretty powerful. In contrast, Martha. It said she was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. In the King James Version, that word distracted is actually cumbered by. Like she was overwhelmed by, would be another way of putting it. The Greek word, the New Testament was originally written in Greek language. The Greek word there for distracted is perispio. Perispio. And what perispio actually means is to be driven about mentally. 
or to be distressed or troubled by all the needs that have to be done. That sounds familiar. It's not just everybody about just being distracted or having busy schedules. It's the reality that as a mindset, we are so stressed, so overwhelmed, so just cumbered by the demands of life, the demands of our job, the demands of just making sure our family's taken care of, provided for, the demands of making sure we're finding joy and fulfillment in life. We are so, so troubled mentally by all the things that we have going around us that we're in this state of being in a hurry and hustled all of the time. And Jesus is looking at Martha, looking at Mary and saying, what I want most importantly is for you just to be able to rest. The misconception here is that God wants you just to do nothing with your life, just sit at his feet and do nothing else. And like, you know, you can't work, you can't do anything, you ought to just sit there and do nothing. And that's just not what this text is saying at all. What it is saying is you got to create margin and create time for God to move. Because here's what happens. When you're so busy, when you are so overwhelmed, by all the needs and demands of life. You don't have time to necessarily think and hear the truth of what God has to say about you. What happens instead is when you're in the hustle of life, you're looking at all the stuff that has to be done. You have you, you see before you, oh, i got to get all of these things accomplished. I'm, I'm not in this point in my career yet. I want to keep climbing the ladder. I want to keep doing this. i got to work hard so I can get that promotion. We do all of these things, thinking that's going to bring you know, satisfaction and fulfillment to our life. And in the meantime, we're so, so busy that we have time for nothing else. And so what happens is instead of being appreciative for the things that we do have, we're looking at all the things that we don't. And we don't have time to let God speak to us and through us. The lies of the enemy have the ability to thrive and prosper. The lies of the enemy thrive in a busied and hurried mindset. Because all it takes is a little whisper of the enemy. You're not good enough. You're a failure. You're never going to amount to anything. Can you believe that you're doing this? You call yourself a Christian? You, you, you think you're such a good person, but look at what you did here and the lies of the enemies just start getting tossed to you. And because we don't have the ability to say pause, rest, and breathe, we can't always hear the truth that God has for us. The truth that says you are enough. The truth that says you are doing everything as I've called you to do. Hey, and, and, and here's the reality. Maybe it's not doing everything perfect because the reality is you're not going to be perfect. But it is one of those things when we are so busy, we're so hustled, that we don't have time to ask and wonder and hear what God has to say. It's a recipe for, for disaster, not success. I'm sorry. It's a recipe for disaster. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people who are trying to find peace in their life. 
They're trying to find a sense of purpose. They're trying to find something that's just going to make them come alive again. And so they're looking for it, for that promotion. They're looking for it, for this new job. They're looking for it, for this new community position. And all those things are great. But they just miss the fact the very thing they're looking for is found by taking a moment to breathe, pause, and sit at Jesus' feet. Because the promise of Scripture is that you are enough. Because he's enough. Not because we're good enough in ourselves, that he is good enough for us. His word says that you are a chosen people. God knows the number of hairs on your head. The number of thoughts he has for you outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. God cares about you. He believes in you. He cares for you. He wants to lift the burdens from your schedule. He wants to take the stress and the burden and the anger and the frustration and all the stress that you carry every single day. He wants to take it and instead replace it with peace and love and grace. But we have the obligation to pause and allow him to do that. So how do you do that? I want to get really practical with you for a second as I kind of get ready to wrap this thing up. How do you break free from the hustle? How do you get past this chaotic, hectic mindset? I wish it was as easy as just saying, hey, just stop hustling. But it's not that easy. You've got career commitments. You've got kids and their sports schedules. You've got all these things and demands that you have to do in order to make your life tick. So I'm not going to leave you with an impossible task of saying, here's how to do it, just stop. Because I know it's not that easy. But I do have three things for you that I think will help. Number one. You have to create margin in your life. We see throughout the gospel, throughout the New Testament, that Jesus would often get up in the morning before the sun got up. Sounds terrible. (laughs) Getting up that early. But Jesus got up that early because he knew as soon as that sun came up until the time the sun went down, and even beyond when the sun went down, people would need him. Jesus was busy himself. So what he did is he created margin in his life and in his schedule. He got up early to be able to spend quality time with God the Father. The Greek there is eremos. You'll see that here in this book. Eremos. It's a Greek word that just means he was alone with God the Father, uninterrupted, unhindered. So he could let this truth and the peace of God come to him. Powerful stuff. And it wasn't just Jesus that created margin. Mary did the same thing. Mary had to make preparation just like Martha. She planned and undoubtedly was doing things to have this feast ready for Jesus in her home. But she also created margin, took time to spend good time with him. She created margin. We got to do the same thing. It might mean saying no to some things so we can say yes to just slowing down. It might mean you wake up a little bit earlier so you can have some time just to turn on some worship music, 
read a Bible plan. Just have some time to sit there and reflect. It might mean you stay up a little bit longer. It might mean during your lunch break, instead of scrolling TikTok or Facebook for 30 minutes, take time to just listen to a podcast, listen to a sermon. Do something practical to create margin. Step number two, Sabbath. Sabbath. That's a church word for you. You hear it a lot of times in the Old Testament. You hear it a lot of times, even scattered throughout the Bible. But you might have never even heard this word before. So what does it mean? Sabbath. It's actually a commandment. In Exodus chapter 20, of the Ten Commandments, one of those commandments is to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. When God created the earth, for six days he created. He created the heavens and the earth. He created light and darkness. He created all of these things that come along with it. For six days, he created animals and humans and everything else that comes with it. But on the seventh day, he rested. God himself, the creator of everything we see, who knows everything, is all-powerful, all-present, God himself rested on the seventh day. He encourages us to follow suit. Something that my family and I have been doing recently that has absolutely changed the game for us is on Saturdays we Sabbath. And what that means is you take that day to rest and do the things that allow you to delight in God. To rest, sleep in, take a nap, make a good meal. Go for a run. Go for a motorcycle ride. Play wiffle ball in the backyard with your kids. Do something that God loves for you to do. God created the heart inside of you. He gave you the, He gave you desires in your heart. So take that Sabbath time to do the things that God wants you to do. He created you to do. And you'll find that as you do that, there's a whole new deal a whole new desire to spend other time in this book. Last This last Saturday, I'll let you know what my Sabbath looked like. I didn't sleep in because I got two kids, so there's that. But I did take a nap, nice little 30-minute cat nap. I went for a six-mile run and just listened to some music and just kind of got to unplug for a little bit. I went with my kids, wrestled with them in, the, in, their, in their yard. I trained my dog. What I didn't do is anything that was working. Anything, any projects around the house, anything that I needed to catch up on because it was a time to rest. And I can't tell you how life-giving and soul-refreshing that was for me. You might be sitting there going, I can't physically create a whole day, but I create half a day. Do it. It will change your life. And it will change how you experience God. And the last point here, intentionally choose slowness. Yeah, choose slowness. Instead of going for the shortest line, choose the longer one. Instead of occupying your mind with your phone because you just need to just, you know, pass the time, just sit there and just be slow. It's a hard concept. And it's one that you're going to kind of go, oh, man. I screwed that one up again. Don't beat yourself up. 
But it's amazing how when you choose slowness, the whole pace of life just slows down. I want to leave you with this scripture, two scriptures actually. The first one is this, Philippians chapter 4. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Can I make it really practical? In really busy or not busy at all, I have learned the secret to being content in any and every situation. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. If you're super busy right now because life, that's okay. If you're not busy, that's okay too. But I would encourage you and implore you that Jesus wants to step into your schedule. He wants to step into your life. And it's up to you to let him. It's up to you to welcome him in. You might have a 15-minute drive between thing to thing. Turn on a sermon. Turn on a podcast. Turn on the Bible audio app. Listen to worship music. Do something to welcome God into your life. Pray to him. Prayer is not this crazy thing where you have to say the right words. Sometimes driving in my car is a matter of, God, I'm stressed out about this thing. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this thing. God, show me in my life the things that I need to work on. Show me the things that you want to impart into me. It's crazy how God uses even those pockets of time to speak to us. And I'm going to close with this. Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Doesn't that sound nice? Refreshing soul. I really believe truly, everybody, that the key to breaking free from this constant tirade of stress and hurry is not inherently and always doing less as much as it's spending more time with God. When David wrote this psalm, he was a king. He knew all too well what it was like to be busy. And before he became a king, he was a shepherd. So for lack of a better term, he was very bored. He's using this experience, his experience as a shepherd to understand that as a shepherd, it was his job to make sure the sheep didn't overheat and didn't overdo it because they didn't have the mental capacity to know when they had to stop. It was up to the shepherd to make them slow down so that they could be taken care of. I believe God's going to make us slow down. It's a whole lot less stressful if we can choose to slow down. Instead of feeling the demands and the weight and the stress of life, you'll feel renewed peace, strength, and a whole new passion to carry out your life. Through Jesus alone. God, encourage you, whatever your day looks like today, whenever you listen to this, Take five minutes before you jump back into work and just thank God for who he is and welcome him into your life, into your situation. 
and I'll do it for you right here. So just close your eyes, bow your heads with me, just welcome God into your situation. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross to take our sins, our mistakes, our shortcomings away from us. And in in the replacement of that, we get direct access to you. So Jesus, as those who are listening to my voice right now, maybe they're feeling cumbered by the demands of their life. They're feeling the stress of what they got going on. I just pray, Jesus, that they would take the time to welcome you into their life by simply saying, God, would you help me? God, would you help me to make more time to hear from you and to live for you? In that moment, Jesus, as we acknowledge our sins, we acknowledge our mistakes, we welcome you into our life. You are there. Go with us this week. May we not be cumbered by the demands of life. May we just feel the peace of your presence. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for coming to our pastoral conversation. And we'll see you next Sunday right here at The Bridge. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.